Engaging conversation on the most urgent problem of our day and what you can do about it. Now, the End Abortion Podcast by Priests for Life. Hello, and welcome to Pro-Life Primetime News. Today is Friday, October 28th. I'm Teresa Watson. And I'm Leslie Palma. In our top story tonight, we will give you the latest developments in the David and Goliath battle between the Center for Medical Progress and Planned Parenthood. I'll tell you about the latest voting snafu in Pennsylvania, where more than 200,000 ballots were sent to unverified voters. With midterm elections just 11 days away, Teresa will bring you all the political news. And Leslie will report all the abortion-related stories in the news this week. As Down Syndrome Awareness Month winds down, we'll introduce you to a young woman who is sure to inspire you. Make sure you stay tuned in until the end. You won't want to miss our very special guest. In 2015, the California-based Center for Medical Progress exposed potentially illegal fetal harvesting networks in the abortion industry, but later found itself and its principles in legal trouble initiated by Planned Parenthood, the nation's politically powerful number one abortion seller. Last week, the center, its founder David DeLayden and co-defendant Sandra Merritt lost their appeal of a $2.4 million fine levied against them. At issue in the case was the use of fake IDs by DeLayden and Merritt and their recording of conversations, which a lower court concluded violated several laws. A three-judge panel of the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals mostly upheld that ruling, denying the defendants' claim that their undercover journalism was protected by the First Amendment. In 2013, DeLayden and Merritt posed as representatives of a fetal tissue procurement company and met with Planned Parenthood officials to ask them about which body parts were the most in demand and how much they were worth. Those conversations were recorded secretly by Delighton. Some of the videos were chilling in their barbarity, including this one, the first to be released, that has a Planned Parenthood doctor calmly discussing during lunch how she safeguards valuable organs when killing a child in the womb. Please be warned, it's difficult to watch of a difference can they actually make if you if you know what kind of what's expected or what we need versus it makes, it makes a huge difference I, i'd say a lot a lot of people want liver mm-hmm. and for that reason most providers put this case under ultrasound guidance so mm-hmm. they'll know where they're putting their forceps kind of re-limiting step of the procedure is calvarium calvarium the head is basically the biggest part. Most of the other stuff can come out intact. Right. It's very rare to have enough dilation to evacuate all the other To bring the, excuse, to bring the body cavity out exactly. intact and all that. Um, so then you're just kind of cognizant of where you put your graspers. Um, you try to intentionally go above and below the thorax so that, you know, we've been very good at getting parts on the liver mm-hmm. because we know that, so I'm not going to crush that part. I'm going to basically crush below, I'm going to crush above, and I'm going to see if I get it. While pro-lifers hoped for legal action to be taken against the abortion giant, then-California Attorney General Kamala Harris had other plans, targeting Daleiden, Merritt, and others at the urging of Planned Parenthood. While running for U.S. Senate, Harris had a secret in-person meeting with Planned Parenthood executives in Los Angeles. Two weeks later, Daleiden's home was raided by the California Department of Justice, led by then-Attorney General Javier Becerra, who is now the Secretary of the Department of Health and Human Services. Harris, of course, is the Vice President. Planned Parenthood has no shortage of friends in high places. The judge overseeing the trial, Federal District Court Judge William Oreck, is a Planned Parenthood supporter whose wife, as the trial was ongoing, called Delighton's undercover work domestic terrorism and other derogatory terms posted on Facebook. 
an effort to have the judge removed from the case did not succeed. After the last week's setback, Delighton posted a statement on the Center for Medical Progress website that said the Ninth Circuit was more concerned with protecting Planned Parenthood than upholding the First Amendment rights of journalists and the public. An appeal is planned. If you have never seen the undercover videos, or if it's been a while, they are worth a look. You can find them at centerformedicalprogress.org and click on Human Capital Project. Google is manipulating search engine results to harm Republicans in critical Senate races, according to the Media Research Center. MRC is calling on Google to stop its war on democracy and provide algorithmic transparency after the media watchdog's Free Speech America's initiative analyzed the 12 races identified by Real Clear Politics as important to watch. The findings revealed that campaign websites for 10 Republicans among the 12 tight races were found significantly lower on results pages compared to their opponents' sites among organic search results. Google denied any wrongdoing when reached by Fox News Digital. Georgia voters continued to hit record-breaking turnout on the first optional Sunday in early voting. As of Monday morning, approximately 758,000 Georgia voters have cast their ballot during in-person or early voting, with 18,109 showing up on Sunday, October 23rd. Sunday's total marks an astounding 211% of the 2018 midterm total for the first Sunday of early voting. Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger stated that 211 percent of 2018 shows that voters are enthusiastic, but most importantly, have the options available to get out that vote in early. This is especially noteworthy in Georgia because of the flack state officials received about their new election integrity laws after 2020. The new regulations were criticized as Jim Crow laws that would lead to voter suppression, especially among minorities. Instead of suppressing the vote, there is historical turnout. To Republicans, this proves the Democratic talking point of suppressing the vote was incorrect. Senator Bernie Sanders said Sunday he's worried about turnout levels of young Democratic voters ahead of the November midterm election. Sanders suggests that Democrats should frame their midterm approach around economic talking points and not abortion to drive turnout. For months now, California Governor Gavin Newsom and Florida Governor Ron DeSantis have been waging a war of words. Newsom put some cash behind the rhetoric, pledging $100,000 to campaign of DeSantis' Democratic gubernatorial component, Charlie Crist. The money is coming from Newsom's campaign account, according to campaign spokesman Nathan Clark. Both Newsom and DeSantis are widely viewed as future presidential contenders and both seem committed to getting under each other's skin. In July, Newsom's re-election campaign ran a 30-second ad on TV stations in Florida, slamming DeSantis and saying, freedom is under attack in your state. I urge all of you living in Florida to join the fight or join us in California, where we still believe in freedom, freedom of speech, freedom to choose, freedom from hate, and the freedom to love, Newsom said in the spot. DeSantis spent several minutes at a news conference slamming Newsom and California. DeSantis said, I can just tell you this, I was born and raised in this state, and until the last few years, I rarely ever saw a California license plate in the state of Florida. You now see a lot of them. 
I can tell you, if you go to California, you aren't seeing very many Florida license plates. Newsom is also raising money for Democrats running for governor of other states, including Katie Hobbs of Arizona, Josh Shapiro in Pennsylvania, Stacey Abrams in Georgia, Chris Jones in Arkansas, and Beto O'Rourke in Texas. But it seems Newsom's attempts to have DeSantis defeated in November are not succeeding. A new poll shows that with less than two weeks before the November 8th election, DeSantis and Republican Senator Marco Rubio hold double-digit leads over their Democratic opponents. Dr. Michael Binder, University of North Florida political science professor, said, the surprise in these numbers is that a statewide race in Florida is closer to a blowout than a recount. Florida has become a red state. It will likely take an exceptionally weak Republican candidate for Democrats to win statewide. And Rubio is not a weak candidate. Earlier this week, MSNBC asked Stacey Abrams, a Georgia gubernatorial candidate, about her emphasis on expanding abortion access, where Americans are more concerned about the rising costs of gas and food. Abrams' answer, which appeared to say that abortions are a solution to economic issues, has been prompting massive criticism. Having children is why you're worried about your price of gas. It's why you're concerned about how much food costs. For women, this is not a reductive issue, Abrams told MSNBC. Pro-life leader Dr. Alveda King criticized Abrams on Thursday for claiming women should abort their unborn babies if they are struggling financially. Speaking with Fox and Friends, King said the notion that killing children is a solution to poverty is a really frightening view. Here is Alveda on Fox and Friends. Well, Stacey Abrams actually thinks abortion is the solution to rising prices. Listen to this. Let's be clear. Having children is why you're worried about your price for gas. It's why you're concerned about how much food costs. For women, this is not a reductive issue. You can't divorce being forced to carry an unwanted pregnancy from the economic realities of having a child. Joining me live is Fox News contributor and Georgia resident Alveda King. Alveda, good morning to you. She was asked about inflation, and she actually pivoted to abortion and turned aborting a child into an issue of economic convenience, which is so far from safe, legal, and rare. What do you make of this? You know, when you look at that perspective, what Stacey Abrams is saying, be afraid, be so afraid, you want to get abortions first, it's more important to get an abortion than it is to pray, than it is to unify, come together, solve the problems of America together. And so when people are afraid, they will make decisions even to taking the life of an innocent person. And so this fear-mongering that Stacey is promoting is not helping. And so when women are scared or frightened or don't know where the next meal is coming from, it's very unkind to suggest, make sure you abort your baby, because yeah. otherwise you're going to starve to death. That's kind of what she's saying. And that is really frightening. I'm very concerned about that perspective. Fetterman and Oz sparred over abortion, fracking, and other hot-button issues during their Senate debate Tuesday night in Pennsylvania, with Democrat Fetterman, who suffered a stroke in May, struggling at times to effectively communicate, missing words, pausing awkwardly, and speaking haltingly. The event, the first and only time Oz and Fetterman will spar one-on-one, -on -one, was billed as the most closely watched midterm debate in the country this year. Pennsylvania Senate race, which could determine the balance of power 
in the chamber has narrowed to a coin flip with Fetterman, the state's lieutenant governor, ahead of Oz, a celebrity doctor, by only one to two percentage points in polling averages. During the debate, Oz insisted his position on abortion was clear, saying, I want women, doctors, local political leaders, letting the democracy that's always allowed our nation to thrive, to put the best ideas forward so states can decide for themselves. Fetterman, meanwhile, said he wants Roe v. Wade to be the law of the land. If you believe that the choice for abortion belongs between you and your doctor, that's what I fight for, Fetterman said. Roe v. Wade for me should be the law. He, referring to Oz, celebrated when Roe v. Wade went down, and my campaign would fight for Roe v. Wade, and if given the opportunity, to codify it into law. A second woman has accused Georgia Republican Senate candidate Herschel Walker of pressuring her to get an abortion after she became pregnant during their relationship. The unnamed woman's allegation was revealed at a press conference Wednesday afternoon with famously pro-abortion attorney Gloria Allred. This claim came weeks after a different anonymous woman said Walker had paid for an abortion in 2009 and pressured her to get a second abortion two years later. The press conference arrived less than two weeks before the November 8th midterm elections, when Walker hopes to unseat incumbent Democratic Senator Raphael Warnock. Polling averages show Walker and Warnock locked in a tight race in Georgia, a, king, a key swing state that could ultimately decide which party holds majority control of the Senate. Walker, who is running on a pro-life platform, has denied the first woman's allegations, which were reported by the Daily Beast and the New York Times. NBC News reported that Walker denied the latest allegation at a campaign event on Wednesday. Almost a quarter of a million ballots were mailed to Pennsylvania voters without verifying their identity, state lawmakers say in a letter seeking answers from the state's top election official. According to the data, as of October 21, 2022, a staggering 240,000 ballots are not verified. Fifteen Republicans in the Pennsylvania House of Representatives write Tuesday in a letter to Acting Secretary of the Commonwealth, Lee Chapman. This is an enormous number of ballots, which according to the law, must be set aside and not counted for the 2022 general election unless the voter produces ID. The, law, the lawmakers wrote, Senator Representative Frank Ryan, a member of the House State Government Committee, led the letter. It cites data on unverified ballots for the November 8th election produced by the Pennsylvania Department of State, which Chapman heads. Ryan and the other 14 GOP lawmakers said this will force the counties to, as one county election director described it, go after the missing information to obtain proof of ID for the unverified ballots. What level of additional staffing is allocated for counties to attempt to contact and verify the identity of these quarter of a million of ballot recipients? Many of these unverified ballots are likely the result of transposition of numbers or letters, but the purpose of the law is to ensure integrity. The law requires matching, therefore all must be set aside and ID verified prior to being counted. Chapman's office didn't respond immediately to the Daily Signal's request for comment on this report. The state lawmaker's letter says the problem stems from a 2018 directive from her office instructing counties to register voters without verification of identity. Ryan stressed that the issue isn't about the outcome of elections. No one is saying this determines who wins and loses, Ryan said. We are just saying the database is so broken it needs to be fixed. 
The letter notes that during a September 14th hearing by the Pennsylvania House Senate Committee, Ryan and Jonathan Marks, Deputy Secretary for Elections and Commissions, to explain why the Secretary's office made so many requests to the Social Security Administration's Help America Vote Verification System. Marks responded that it was to verify information on applications for mail-in ballots. He told the committee that if someone submits invalid identification, the county still must send a mail-in ballot to that requester. And that's political news in a nutshell. Arizona's Attorney General has agreed not to enforce a near-total ban on abortions at least until next year, prompting Planned Parenthood to announce it will resume performing abortions at all four of its facilities in the state. On Thursday, a Planned Parenthood official said, we are celebrating today. Planned Parenthood and the Attorney General's office have until November 17th to file briefs in an ongoing lawsuit brought by abortion providers hoping to block a law from 1864 that bans nearly all abortions. More than a dozen House Democrats will introduce legislation that would give the Department of Health and Human Services $20 million a year over five years to fund a public awareness campaign promoting abortion. If passed, the bill would turn the federal government into a taxpayer-supported advertising agency with just one client, the abortion cartel. Supreme Court Justice Samuel Alito said the leak of his decision to overturn Roe v. Wade made the conservative majority on the court targets for assassination. The decision was leaked to the news site Politico in May, touching off a firestorm of protests and attacks against pro-life organizations like pregnancy help centers. Speaking at a Heritage Center event in Washington Tuesday, Alito called the leak a grave betrayal by somebody that gave people a rational reason to think they could prevent that from happening by killing one of us. And in fact, a California man was arrested June 8th near the home of Justice Brett Kavanaugh. He turned himself into police, telling them he was upset about the draft opinion and hoped to kill the justice in his home. The other conservative justices had protesters outside their homes for weeks on end. The source of the leak has never been identified. The Supreme Court decision was formally released June 24th, ending legal abortion on the national level. Two towns in New Mexico near the Texas border could declare themselves sanctuary cities for the unborn, prompting the owner of a chain of abortion mills to reconsider plans to open a killing center in one of the towns. The influx of abortion-minded women from Texas, where nearly all abortion is banned, prompted pastors in the towns of Clovis and Hobbs to contact Mark Lee Dixon, the founder of the Sanctuary City Movement, to find out about obtaining the designation for their towns. Neither has an abortion mill currently, but Amy Hagstrom Miller, CEO of Whole Women's Health, said she was considering opening one in one of those towns, but is now having second thoughts. New Mexico is a blue state that has gained a reputation as the late-term abortion capital of the country. Its governor, Democrat Michelle Lujan Grisham, has earmarked $10 million to open an abortion business in Las Cruces. So while the towns of Clovis and Hobbs might seem to be rare pro-life oases in the state, Albuquerque-based attorney Mike Seibel told Reuters that's not necessarily the case. New Mexico and many other blue states are actually pro-life states that are just dominated by one or two big cities, Seibel said. The vast majority of towns and villages throughout a blue state may, in fact, be pro-life. Final votes on the sanctuary city designation will take place November 3rd in Clovis and November 7th in Hobbs. Opponents of an effort to add a pro-abortion amendment to the South Dakota Constitution in 2024 have launched the Life Defense Fund. Co-founders Leslie Unruh and John Hansen say the proposed amendment would enshrine abortion through the second trimester, a step too radical for state residents. The amendment is being pushed by a group called Dakotans for Health, which has raised $93,000 so far. Much of it, according to Mrs. Unruh, is from out-of-state abortion supporters. A near-total ban on abortion has been in effect since this past summer, and a poll released Tuesday by Emerson College Polling and The Hill revealed that 45% of state residents support that protection for the unborn. 
39% oppose the ban, and 16% are unsure. Washington State Governor Jay Inslee also would like to see abortion enshrined in his state's constitution. The one-time presidential hopeful, a Democrat, announced that his legislative priorities for the 2023 session include passage of an amendment that would ensure pro-abortion Washington remains that way. Georgia's heartbeat law had its two days in court this week in Atlanta. Abortion providers and advocates have challenged the law that prohibits abortion after about six weeks, saying it violates the state's right to privacy. In his opening arguments, Georgia Solicitor General Stephen Petrani argued that there is no right to abortion under Georgia's constitution. There is nothing that even hints at a right to abortion. He also said the law must remain in effect. These are unborn children that the state wants to protect, and there is no way of protecting them except to keep people from aborting, Petrani said. Longtime pro-life activist Ross Foti was brutally attacked outside a Planned Parenthood killing center in California last week. A woman entering the building shoved the 88-year-old pro-lifer to the ground, causing him to fall on a fire hydrant. Foti suffered, suffered a punctured lung and other serious injuries and was hospitalized after the assault. Life Legal Defense Fund is representing him and will pursue charges against the attacker. And finally, the European Court of Human Rights has ruled that a woman who protested topless inside a Catholic church in Paris was the victim of a human rights violation when she was convicted of sexual exposure and given a suspended sentence. French courts were ordered to pay Eloise Bouton almost $10,000 for damages and expenses. The woman was protesting the church's pro-life stance. And that's abortion in the news. As National Down Syndrome Awareness Month draws to a close, we would like to tell you about an amazing program developed at the Down Syndrome Association of Central Florida. This organization is an accredited and award-winning not-for-profit association founded in 1991 by parents of children with Down Syndrome. It has grown from a few families to over 1,200 individuals with Down syndrome and their families. They serve families in eight counties with help from more than 17,000 friends, professionals, volunteers, and other supporters. This program is for teens and adults with Down syndrome who are interested in learning how to start their own businesses and implementing what they learn. The Entrepreneur Academy gives individuals with Down syndrome a path towards productive adulthood and financial independence by empowering them with the education and skill training to start their own business. This life-changing program is the first of its kind in the nation for people with Down syndrome and sets a new standard for how communities empower individuals with disabilities. We have with us tonight the mom of a teen with Down syndrome who pioneered this program and her beautiful daughter, Raquel, who completed the program and has started a very successful business. Please welcome Janet Caramello and her daughter, Raquel. Hi. Hi. <laughs> How are you? Thanks for joining us. Yes, well, we're all very anxious to, to talk with Raquel. But first, Janet, would you please give us just a short history of what inspired you to start this program? Yes, so um, people with Down syndrome, about 81% of them are um, unemployed. And of those that have a job, virtually 100% are underemployed, which means that they might work a couple hours a week at, um, you know, at, a, at a Publix or at a, uh, at a business. But really, it's difficult for them to, um, to get a full-time um, full position and I realized when talking with um, the community that the way that they would sometimes see people with Down syndrome was, oh, maybe um, maybe the person could be a bagger, or maybe they could, um, you know, be on the janitorial staff. Um, but there was so much more that they had the ability to do. 
and I was inspired by John Cronin, who had started a business. He has Down syndrome, and he started a business that's called John's Crazy Socks, and it does over a million dollars of socks each wow. year. And I, uh, before I was um, working um, in the nonprofit field, I actually was a business owner and just it clicked one day and I thought, you know what, we have to create um, an entrepreneur academy so that people with Down syndrome can be empowered, um, they can be in charge of their own destiny and they can show the world um, everything that they can be. That's fantastic. So Raquel, tell us what made you want to start your own business. Um, uh, I want to be my own boss and learn how and the um, Darcyatlum. Yeah. Um, and how, how did you decide on jewelry? Um, okay. Um, I'll, uh, I like I like fashion and jewelry, so I jewelry so that mentors can help me decide what so customize jewelry with a message to inspire others. Wow. Well, Raquel, how did the Entrepreneur Academy help you uh, with this goal to become a business owner? So, so everything from from um, deciding on what kind of business to marketing to, you know, we were, we said that we were um, flying the, um, flying the plane while we were building it. And, uh, but really it was just incredible. And um, each month, each of the CEOs got up to report on their, on their business. And so it was once a week for six weeks and then once a month. And they held each other accountable, and it was just amazing. Oh, that's great! So your business has been so successful that you're a you're able to donate to other organizations. Tell us about that. I give I give to the Dasetlum groups and Morristown's group and and the kids of cancer and hospitals. Wow. Wow. Good for you. Yeah. Raquel, we're really impressed with you. Well, what is your plan after you graduate from high school? Because you're what what year are you in now? You're a sophomore? Um, um, I'm a senior. Oh, okay. Wow. So what are you going to do after you graduate? Um, go to college and find true love. Find true love and get married. And (laughs) she has, she has, you know, just, just like anyone else, she has, um, you know, her goals in life that she's looking forward to and um, has has um, everything in in uh, in place. And I just am here trying to keep up with her sometimes. <laughs> I'm sure. Well, Janet, would you like to offer some encouragement to parents of children with, with Down syndrome or pregnant moms who find out they may have a, a baby with Down syndrome? Yes. Yeah, so when um, when the geneticist gave us the diagnosis, they um, shared with us a lot of um, what they said that Raquel wasn't going to be able to do. And, you know, I wish that I could look back and and talk to um, that mom with the beautiful baby and let her know that, you know, um, God has a plan for us and we don't know what the plan is, what he has planned for us or any of our children. And, you know, he has just um, impacted so many lives through through Raquel and her friends that have just 
you know, every day I just am, am just um, in awe of of his creations. And um, so I would say, um, you know, it's um, that your baby is beautiful. Congratulations. And um, just you wait. It's going to be really, really incredible. Well, Janet, um, if you could just tell us where can uh, people go to buy Raquel's beautiful jewelry? Leslie and I have been on the site and uh, we we have been uh, looking at, at the stuff. And, and Leslie said in the beginning, we're going to be doing some Christmas shopping there. And I, I we really are. So where can we all go? Um, you, uh, you go to RaquelBeautiful.com. Yeah, RaquelBeautiful.com, and each piece of jewelry comes with an inspirational message that's written uh, by Raquel, and, um, you know, just to um, inspire others and remind them that they are beautiful, um, that they are strong, that, um, that they can do anything. Amen. Oh, that's great. Yeah. And Raquel, you are beautiful. And uh, we, it's been such a blessing to meet you. This, 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 yeah. Thank you. If you're ever, we're only, you're in Tampa. We're only about two and a half hours away. If you're ever in the neighborhood, please stop by and see us. That sounds good. We will. All right. All right. Well, thanks for coming on. Bye now. Thank you. Bye. Pioneers of the Pregnancy Help Movement will be honored January 20th at the 28th National Prayer Service at Constitution Hall in Washington, D.C. The interfaith service takes place on the morning of the March for Life and is co-sponsored annually by the National Pro-Life Religious Council, Priests for Life, and Faith and Liberty. On Monday, Priests for Life National Director Father Frank Pavone and Executive Director Janet Morana announced this year's honorees, all, all of whom have been in pro-life trenches for 30 years or more. The recipients of the Pro-Life Recognition Award include Margaret Hartshorn, Chairman of the Board of Heartbeat International, Thomas Glessner, Founder and President of the National Association of Family and Life Advocates, Denise Cocciolione, Founder and President of the National Life Center, Mr. Chris Slattery, Founder and President of Expectant Mother Care, EMC Frontline Pregnancy Centers, Christopher Bell, Founder and Executive Director of Good Counsel Homes, and Joan Andrews Bell, a pioneer in pro-life activism. Sister Paula Vandegeer, the late Founder and Director of International Life Services, will be honored posthumously. The Pregnancy Help Movement has been under attack since May, when the Supreme Court decision overturning Roe v. Wade was first leaked. Dozens of centers have been firebombed and vandalized, and not a single arrest has been made. The centers are also under attack in the media. Viewers rem will remember we had Heartbeats President Jarrell Godsey on several weeks ago to set the record straight on a hit piece done by Yahoo Finance. This week, CNN has taken aim at the centers, claiming they get too much government funding, which is a lie. Last week, we heard from a mom whose life was totally turned around with the help of a pregnancy center. Now let's have one of our honorees, Peggy Hartshorn, who served as president of Heartbeat for 22 years, talk about the work of the pregnancy movement as a whole. Decision was announced and people were saying, well, what now? And we said, number one, we're going to be doing the same thing that we've been doing for uh, almost 50 years. Heartbeat International in, in, 19, uh, in 20, uh, 2021 celebrated our 50th anniversary. So we've been doing this for 50 years and we're not going to stop. We're going to be doing it even more and even better. Uh, and some of the some of you may not recognize or realize the, the tremendous extent of pregnancy help and what is actually accompli being accomplished 
and pregnancy health. I just want to summarize uh, a few of the statistics that we know from the Charlotte Lozier Institute, who's done several studies on the pregnancy health movement, very professional in measuring our, our effectiveness. Uh, since uh, here are some of their conclusions for their from their 2019 report. Uh, from the years 2016 to 2019, 800,000 mothers were empowered to save their babies in pregnancy health centers that otherwise were very vulnerable to abortion. 800,000 uh, saves. Now, uh, we always say in pregnancy health, we don't save babies. The moms save their babies. The moms and the dads save their babies because they finally have the help and support that they need so that abortion is not their only alternative. So that's one of the accomplishments. Um, Charlotte Lozier measures that we see in the pregnancy help locations around the U.S. By the way, there are 3,000 locations now in the U.S. of pregnancy help centers. And that of that, 300 of them are residential care facilities. And you'll be hearing from Chris Bell on those wonderful parts uh, of the pregnancy help movement. Um, we save taxpayers about $270 million uh, a year in services that we provide to women who otherwise um, might be having babies that are low birth weight or, uh, and that costs taxpayers quite a bit of money in healthcare. Uh, the kinds of social services that are often provided by taxpayers, um, we are providing those at no cost to the client uh, in our pregnancy health centers. So $270 million in services is absolutely amazing per year. Uh, 1,290,079 packets of diapers. The maternity care, the maternity aid that we're providing uh, to families in need is amazing in our pregnancy health centers. So that's our material resources. In any one year volunteering in the pregnancy health centers, we have about 54,000 volunteers in any one, at any one time of volunteering in pregnancy centers, about 15,000 paid staff which includes 10,000, over 10,000 actual medical personnel working in the centers around the country. So it's a phenomenally successful operation in helping people choose life. The service will begin at 8.30 a.m. in Constitution Hall at 1776 D Street Northwest in D.C. It's a big, beautiful theater with the capacity for as many busloads of people who want to attend. It will be over by 10.30 a.m., leaving you plenty of time to get to the March for Life rally. The service is free, and you do not need tickets. And we have some more exciting news about the prayer service. Last year, the contemporary Christian artist, Mike Donahue, brought the audience to their feet. And we are very happy to announce he'll be back again in January. And even better than that, he's here with us today. Welcome, Mike. Hey, welcome. I feel welcome. Thank you. <laughs> Mike, I was at Constitution Hall last year, and I could see how visibly moved you were to be able to sing to the many attendees before we all headed out to march. What were you feeling during your performance? Man, just pretty wild. You know, I grew up going to the march. My dad worked for National Right to Life, and so it was just—it was just a very full circle moment for me to be doing music after all these years and being at the march that I grew up going to. Well, Mike, we didn't, none of us, I don't think, really thought that the 2022 March was going to be the last one before Roe was overturned. So now, how do you feel looking forward to this year's prayer service? Yeah, it was wild. I remember they were saying, yeah, we think Roe's going to get overturned. And I remember going, that's not going to happen. My dad's <laughs> been saying that for 
you know, 40 years or whatever it's been. And, uh, and just amazing. Just so it feels like it'll be such a, just a different tone than ever before, you know? Well, I remember you mentioning during your performance last year that you were really moved uh, meeting and talking to the women of the Silent No More Awareness Campaign, and you performed a special song at the prayer service and dedicated it to these women. What's the name of that song, and why did you choose that one? Oh, yeah. I, I think you're talking about You Are More. Is that the one that I did? That's the one. All right. I'll just make sure. Um, yeah, I think it's just such a powerful thing. You know, my, my mother went through... Uh, unwanted pregnancy when she was young and um, and decided to have her baby and so just I felt so connected to those women of going man that you know this very easily could have been my mom and could have been my half-sister and uh, so it's the gospel is what I want to sing over people and let them know that even the worst kind of mistake like that God's grace is still bigger than that you know so, uh, do you want me to play a little part of it? Should I play a little well, part? Well, we were hoping. Yeah. We were, yes, we, we, we would love that. Thank yeah, you. I mean, the chorus, is, it's a simple little song, but it just says, You are more than the choices that you make. You are more than the sum of the past mistakes. You are more than the problems you create. You've been remade. You are more than the choices that you make. You are more than the sum of the you are more than the problems you create. You've been remade. Yeah. There it is. Oh, that's beautiful. Give me chills. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Well, Michael, we just can't thank you enough for taking out the time. You're on tour. I think you said you're in Texas now, right? I am. At least I think so. I'm, I'm on <laughs> tour. I'm, I'm in some room. I'm in the choir room. Okay. <laughs> well, we really appreciate you taking time to be with us. That's great. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Thanks. And we'll see you in January. You, in January. <laughs> you better believe it. <laughs> Bye. Leslie, the show tonight was so inspiring. Um, I really enjoyed doing it, and I, I'm really inspired by Raquel's story. Oh, no kidding. She was just amazing. And the, the really tragic thing about Down syndrome, and that's why they have this Down syndrome awareness month, in the United States, between 67 and 85% of Down syndrome babies are aborted. So that's just tragic and criminal. Absolutely. Well, and after talking about the honorees for the National Prayer Service and hearing Mike's beautiful voice, I think we might uh, have standing room only at Constitution Hall. Oh, what do you think? Absolutely. Anybody who was there last year is coming back and bringing a friend. And I think we're going to get lots more people coming because he's just amazing. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for joining us on Pro-Life Primetime News, produced at Priest for Life headquarters in Titusville, Florida. We hope you will join us every Friday at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. We hope you will support this show and all of our broadcasts, including Just Ask Janet, our daily masses, and Father Frank's broadcast by making a donation to ProLifeGift.org. These donations help fund all of our work here at Priest for Life, which enables us to continue educating, equipping, and activating the pro-life community to end abortion. Do you have an idea for a story? Are you someone whose baby was saved because of the help of a sidewalk counselor? Would you like to expose something in the abortion industry? Then please email us at media at priestsforlife.org. Be sure to join us next Friday at 9 p.m. Eastern as we break down the midterm elections with several top political analysts. I'm Leslie Palma, Communications Director. And I'm Teresa Watson, Executive Manager. Remember, life is the only choice. This has been the End Abortion Podcast. 
To learn more, to help end abortion, and to connect with us on social media, visit endabortion.net.